we've got to get more real. And I think this will come from an effective leadership who that feels comfortable to be more vulnerable, to share that they've also been finding it tough. Because I think as soon as we go to that human level, uh, people sort of go, oh yeah, hadn't really thought about the boss sort of finding it a bit difficult and tricky as well. And, and it starts to open up the conversation so people then feel safe to speak up how they are feeling because we're very good at putting on the professional face. Trust me, I've been doing it for many years. Yeah. yeah. We put on this, this professional face, everything's fine, but it's not fine. Hi, this is Julie Hyde. Thanks for joining me on Making It Count, a podcast dedicated to inspiring leaders and business owners to be even better leaders, to create a great culture, empower their people, and be more productive. So let's get into it. Meet the amazing Dr. Jenny Brockus. As a kid, Jenny's favorite tale was Kipling's story of how the elephant got his trunk. Like the elephant, she was insatiably curious about the world. It also got her into a bit of trouble, like the time she set fire to the kitchen during a chemistry experiment. Her curiosity then led her to ask, why does our body and mind sometimes fail us? As a board-certified lifestyle medicine physician and best-selling author, her vision is to enable everyone to be a happy, thriving human, which is why she chose to switch from being a GP to create a workplace consultancy called BrainFit, specializing in mental well-being, psychological safety, and sustainable high performance. Her fourth book, Thriving Mind, How to Cultivate a Good Life, has just been published, and when not at work, you'll find her cuddled up with a book, hiking in nature, or experimenting in the kitchen. Our chat is focused around how to thrive in a pandemic. Now, this is a brilliant chat and incredibly relevant to what is going on now and what is going to be happening in our future because this pandemic is not going away anytime soon. So we chat about how to recognize if someone is struggling, tips for managing your mental well-being, tips for leaders to support their employees' mental well-being, and Jenny's biggest influence on her life. Grab a pen and paper, um, sit back with a coffee and really enjoy this chat. Jenny, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Julie. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. And I'm really looking forward to our chat today because if there is a hot topic at the moment, it is about mental well-being. So I'm really, really looking forward to tapping into your expertise and um, diving into what we can be doing to, you know, be having Mm -hmm. thriving minds. So let's jump into it. Yep. Magic. All right, so can you please share a little bit about your background with our listeners and how you've got to where you are today? Okay, Um, so I'm a medical practitioner by trade. I used to run a group medical practice here in WA for many years. I subsequently um, experienced quite bad burnout um, to the extent I actually had to take a year out and lost my business, which wasn't a very pleasant experience. Mm. It taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about myself um, because I'd been in complete denial before. Mm. But it also gave me this massive opportunity. And at the time, I would never have seen it in that way. Mm. Um, but it enabled me to really reflect on who I was, what I was all about, what I wanted to actually achieve. And I realized that 
where my passion really was, was about enabling people to know what they could be doing for themselves in order to stay fit and well at a physical level and at a mental well-being level and (laughs) at a cognitive level. Because so many of my clients who'd come to see me when I was a GP would be stressed to the max. They were overwhelmed. They were just completely exhausted. And sometimes dealing with really toxic relationships in this place we call work, which sounded awful. Mm. And I thought, we can do so much better than this. And rather than me just saying, oh, you need some time out or here's an antidepressant, which is really just putting a Band-Aid on the situation, I really wanted to get down to the nitty-gritty of understanding what we can do to look after ourselves better. And the note was to myself in regards to that as well, um, because the medical um, profession as a whole tends to be, you know, we care for everybody else and we forget to look after ourselves too. So that was basically how I ended up transitioning from traditional holistic uh, medical practice into becoming uh, a workplace health consultant for want of a better description. So I work with different organisations, different companies, helping people to understand how they can be their best selves Mm. and helping leaders to understand, you know, getting the best out of your employees isn't about wringing them out like a towel. It's about providing them a safe environment, uh, providing them the support and the resources they need and really getting to know who your people are and so that they understand who you are as well so that everybody can work well together. This is all about making work work, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, making work work. Mm. And like you say, it's really challenging a very old-fashioned management structure isn't it in terms of okay people we need to achieve this kpi i don't care how you do it you just do it Mm. um whereas now it's really about supporting the employees as you say to be their best selves to bring them best their best selves to work and of course then that's going to translate into better performance (laughs) and 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 the good news is we now have the the data and the research Mm. to support this you know there is a a really strong business case Mm. for you know the better we look after each other Mm. the better we will operate Mm. so you know there's there's really little excuse to stay in the um, hierarchical command and control field but I have to say certain Certain professions, <clears throat> the medics included, um, <laughs> are a little bit reluctant to move into the, the new era. And I think one thing the pandemic has revealed is that so many people have shared with me what they've realised wasn't working well before. Mm. And even though they were aware that something wasn't quite right, just having had this time to step back and actually slow down things a little bit has been really a great eye opener to say, you know what? That isn't what I want to go back to. I want to hold on to what I've found is actually more important. Mm, yeah, mm. I agree. So people's priorities are changing yeah. a lot and their understanding about, you know, that family connection again, whereas yeah. before we were just so busy being dictated to by external mm. expectation and even the expectation that we put on our own shoulders, which is unrealistic and running yeah. around like headless chooks. And now it's like, yeah. well, hang on. Okay, I'm actually connecting back with my with my kids, with my partner. Yes, I'm 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 liking this. So (laughs) things need to change, which links back to what you were saying before about you know probably the catalyst for you 
changing from you know the the GP to to creating your um, consultancy, mm. it's that um, ability to stand back and reflect. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So your burnout, mm. as you have spoken about before mm. previously, but you know that was a real. Did did you did you know that that was happening to you, or was it the end result? And you just went, oh my god, I just cannot do this anymore. I was in absolute denial. I mean, yeah. I was. It was probably brewing for a good nine, twelve months, Definitely. and I just ignored it because, hey, you know, I was a business owner. I was very busy. Uh, I had young kids. I had a partner who was away a lot, and this was just expected. So I just thought, oh, it's just a particularly difficult patch. I'll just soldier on because that's what you do. And I hadn't really appreciated, even though um, others were commenting on my weight loss uh, and my appearance because I looked a bit sort of because I lost nine kilos. <laughs> um, and and when I was experiencing panic attacks, I was thinking, oh, so this is what a panic attack feels like. Because obviously other people would come in and see me and say, I've been experiencing horrendous panic attacks and anxiety or depression. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, so this is how it is. Mm. And then, but not sort of making two and two make four. Yeah. This was actually a warning sign. I just completely ignored those until I couldn't carry on, literally physically or mentally anymore. I hit rock bottom. That was it. God. Wow. That would have mm. been scary. Mm. Mm. That was scary when I couldn't get out of bed. Yes. <laughs> I didn't yes. have the energy to put my clothes on, let alone move to a different part of the house. I, I couldn't do anything. It was, thought, wow, okay. Just yeah. hit by a ton of rocks. Mm. Not good. Yeah. Not and, but, good. Um, so many people are living with burnout mm. and sometimes they have the awareness that they are burnt out to a greater or lesser degree Uh, but but there's what what frustrates me is that they're not even when they've they've got this awareness sometimes their their employer won't buy into this and say yes I acknowledge that you have burnt out and you need some extra assistance here how can we support you Um, they're they're either dismissed or they're told no you haven't got burnout you're depressed so just, just go and see your doctor and get some antidepressants, you'll be fine. And no, we, we can't carry on like this. Um, and the really scary thing is um, Audrey McGibbon, who, who um, runs the Global Leaders Wellness Survey, has just published her latest data from over 2,000 leaders in, here in Australia. And 84% of them are at risk of burnout currently. I mean, that's insane. You know, we we talk about burnout as if it's something that only happens to a few people. It's so prevalent. Um, We need to be doing things right now to really get better at looking out for each other. And that includes the leaders because the leaders are working so darn hard. I don't know if this is what you've been seeing as well, Julie. Mm. But, you know, with everything going topsy-turvy, Um, and businesses going to the wall, they've been working so hard to try and keep their heads above water, to try and keep the business ongoing, to try and keep people employed and doing reasonably well in terms of productivity and performance. But And there's nothing left for themselves. And as a consequence, they they are particularly at risk at the moment of burning out. Yes, I 100% agree. It's... And this is just the beginning because 
we've got a long way to go before we exit from COVID-19. And the aftermath isn't going to be dealing with the, the infection, which will have eventually burnt itself out, hopefully. It'll be the mental well-being state that we are left with, picking up the pieces. Mm. Um, because as a medic, I, I can say, and I'm, you may agree or disagree, but pre-COVID, the mental health system wasn't functioning well at all. It was broken. Mm. People were waiting far too long before they could access services. And, and basically, it was just grossly inadequate. And while the government is well-intentioned, you know, let's chuck a bit more money in. Um, that doesn't fix it. Mm. Because you still have only a certain number of people who are trained in that space. So we've re- really got to reimagine how we go about things. And I think um, the changing face of mental health which I always get frustrated with because mental health isn't mental health, <laughs> it's mental illness, um, is we have to reimagine how it's delivered, but we also have to reimagine what we do to enable mental well-being. And I think this is where every employer, every business, um, every leader will be taking part in this to ensure that people know what that entails. What does it look like? How do you do that? How do you manage it in a, in a workplace setting? Because it's not something that you just do at home. It's it's wherever you are, whichever environment you're operating in. Yeah, yeah, 100% agree. Mm. So let's chat about your book, Thriving Mind, because I know you're very passionate about that. And it's just been released not that long ago, or probably is long ago, because time seems to be standing still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's called Thriving Mind, How to Cultivate a Good Life, which I love the title. And I love that you've um, encapsulated everything within that as well. As you say, it's about um, work and it's about life and bringing that all together. So can you share with us a little bit about that and, you know, what drove you to write it? It may have, it may be everything you've just talked about. <laughs> Probably in a nutshell, but I wrote the the book pre-COVID and I had to submit the manuscript by February the 14th. So uh, we were coming into 2020 with this sense of, oh, there's something going on. Um, I really wanted to address the overwhelm, the overwork, the level of exhaustion that I was already seeing in the workplace. Mm. And then this horrific period that we had with the, the bushfires. Yeah which was just beyond ghastly. Mm. And, and then all of a sudden the pandemic landed in our laps, mm. sort of left a field. We thought, where did that come from? Um, which really shook everything upside down. And I remember saying to the editor, um, I know I've just written this book, <laughs> but I think I need to address the fact we are entering into a global pandemic uh, because it's it's everything that I've written about is actually really even more relevant now to Mm. what we need to do to ensure that we know how to thrive Mm. during a pandemic, how to ensure that we do have the mental well-being that's going to enable us to be happier. Um, Because, you know, if we get stuck in a a bad place because things are completely pear-shaped, where's the joy? Where's the pleasure? And despite everything... We've got a whole array of emotions and it's really important to know how to tap into that because that enables us to build our resilience and our ability to cope 
uh, more effectively when when we're going through this. So the, those two aspects. And the third aspect, which I think was really highlighted, particularly in the time of lockdown, was this need for social connection. Mm. Because what I was witnessing was, you know, we've got all this wonderful technology, we can connect so quickly and easily with each other, and yet we were feeling more disconnected than ever. And there were and loneliness is is part of this mental health issue because and especially you know where you were not allowed to leave your house or you were restricted in how many people you could interact with or you could only meet them on a virtual screen and things like this it's really amplified I think the fact that we need social connection and while virtual is second best my goodness it's been a lifesaver over the last seven or eight months because I've been trying to imagine what it would have been like being in lockdown without having it. And that would have been ghastly, even more ghastly than than what we've already had. So I think that the book addresses what do we need to stay human? What do we need to ensure that we know how to interact with each other at a deeper, more meaningful level? And it doesn't matter whether it's this our private relationships, our family and our friends, or our workplace relationships, because relationships matter, full stop. And if you have the understanding of what it takes to nurture those relationships, because this is what actually makes the biggest difference to how successful we are in our life. It doesn't matter who you are, where you were born, which which tertiary institution you went to for your degree or whatever, the, the statistics show us that uh, it's the quality of our closest relationships that actually determine our success. So it's really important that we know how to maintain that social connection, even though we can't physically be with each other as easily. So that part of the book, I think, is, is essential because it talks about the need for kindness um, and on what There are many silver linings that have come out of this time. And one of them has been we've been witnessing beautiful um, scenarios where people have been exceptionally kind to others, you know, strangers that they don't know from a bar of soap. I think it's because we've slowed down and started to see things around us more clearly. We are actually being kinder to each other in many ways, which is fantastic. And we're also starting to get better at being kinder to ourselves, a bit more self-compassion. Um, I think the the need to feel trusted has become really apparent. And I think in the virtual workspace too, um, I have been a bit concerned where I've heard people say, look, when I was in the office, I had a really great relationship with my boss. Since I've been working from home, something's shifted. It's almost as if um, they don't know me anymore. It's it. I don't feel trusted. It's I feel like they're checking in on me all the time, and I'm thinking, Ooh, that's that's not good. So I think we've got to get better at knowing how we can demonstrate our trust because that's essential if you want to keep people on board and keep them motivated and engaged and doing everything well. Um, showing respect and showing a lot of empathy too. So I think you know the leadership space at the moment is fairly demanding. <laughs> So um, it's it's about all those things and and also the self care piece. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. God, there's so much there, Jenny, that I need to tap into. But it's such a good point that you bring up. You know, in terms of 
thriving during a pandemic, which, like you say, isn't going to end anytime soon. So it's understanding how we do that. But your point about loneliness is really interesting and the trust because I've just come off speaking to someone who is not long into a business, you know, in a fairly key role, and she was saying how she does feel disconnected still Mm -hmm. because she hasn't met anyone in person um, (laughs) because of the pandemic. So it hasn't hasn't, um, facilitated any, um, any of those types of introductions. And beyond what she shares in the, you know, the icebreakers at their virtual meetings every fortnight, mm. um, no one really knows anything about her. So she feels mm-hmm. like she's alone in her, in her lounge room and quite mm-hmm. disconnected from the business. So it's like, yeah. hmm, interesting. And, mm. and like you say, gosh, you know, where would we be if we didn't have these? facilities like zoom or teams or skype or facetime or whatever that looked like so at least we can get a, a bit of a view mm. on people's physical well-being and how that how they're looking yes so, yeah, yeah yeah great points yeah great points so <laughs> i'll be getting you to share how people can get a, a copy of your book um, but it sounds like every workplace <laughs> needs to dive into this <laughs> for sure um, and you touched on it before in terms of, you know, this year has been incredibly traumatic. Like the bushfires is mm. beyond belief. That's how I mm. started. Mm. And now the pandemic and, um, you know, this is going to be the new pandemic for us is in terms of the mental illness that we're experiencing. And I've heard stats, you know, just in Victoria with Beyond Blue that the, the increase has been like 77% in the last couple of months and like you say the people aren't available to be able to handle this so what are some key things um as a result of all of this rapid and traumatic change what are some key things that do impact our mental health and what are some um things that we should be looking out for in each other okay that's a big question i know i know Maybe one thing, maybe choose one or two things. I think um, one thing that's become more obvious is that, we, you know, we're all different. We all have different levels of coping. Mm-hmm. And some people are able to take on board a higher level of stress and still be able to function reasonably well compared to others. So I think what we need to get better at is recognising the difference between the, the spectrum because and and it's not static either I mean people can be sort of trotting along thinking well actually I'm doing okay this is fine and then go bloop into a big hole so you can't assume just because somebody's okay now they're going to be okay in a month or six weeks time so it's at this it's going to be this continual um the need to just be be aware that things can change and to, mm. to make the the question normal how are you traveling? How are you going really? I mean, I've, I've been an RUAK ambassador in the past. And, you know, that's always about reminding ourselves to, to ask, you know, is everything all right? Is everything okay? So this takes it to the next level where we actually see mental well-being the norm. And I think one area that workplaces can really make a difference is when the, the time is set aside for conversations around how people are really 
So instead of having the, the, the weekly or fortnightly business meeting and how are you going? Oh, yes, yes, that's, that's fine, that's fine. Moving on. We've got to get more real. Mm. And I think this will come from an effective leadership who that feels comfortable to be more vulnerable, mm. to share that they've also been finding it tough. Because mm. I think as soon as we go to that human level, uh, people sort of go, oh, yeah, hadn't really thought about the boss sort of finding it a bit difficult and tricky as well. And, and it starts to open up the conversation so people then feel safe to speak up how they are feeling because we're very good at putting on the professional face. Trust me, I've been doing it for many years. Yeah. yeah. We put on this, this professional face, everything's fine, but it's not fine. Yeah. And unless we can get really good at saying, you know what, it's not so fine at the moment, then it it gives everybody else permission to seek how to best support that person. So it's not about saying, oh, well, you're clearly incompetent or you're not, or not up to the job. You better go and get yourself sorted and see you later. I think if we can really tap into it's it's the earlier piece. It's where people are starting to decline in, in their ability to deliver what they're truly capable of. So it's noticing when your colleague doesn't seem quite themselves, is a little bit more withdrawn, isn't quite as contributive or upbeat in, in the meetings that they would normally um, be like. And just having that intuition to say, hmm, is everything all right here? Um, because often, if you haven't been asked before, the, the first response is, oh, no, it's okay, it's all fine. And then and we look like a startled rabbit because we think, oh, what did they see that I was trying to sort of protect? Um, so we have to give people time to adjust to being asked and being safe to say, mm, yeah, this week's been a dog's breakfast, actually. And, yeah. <laughs> and just to explain it. And then, yeah. and then everybody comes in. And by building that sense of collegiality, when everybody is looking out for everybody else, you keep everybody safe. And the relative risk of developing a mood disorder just such as anxiety or depression or becoming burnt out will be greatly reduced. And hey, that's not only good for the individual, it's good for business too, because the amount of stress leave, sick leave, presenteeism, absenteeism is going to be reduced because people feel cared for that's what we want we just want to know that somebody gives a damn and that when things are up to the wall uh we're not going to be left out to hang you know hang and dry Mm. yeah such great points and um i think you hit the nail on the head there particularly around that safety because I'm assuming a massive assumption, but of course, uh, with our current economic environment, particularly here in in Melbourne, um, I'm assuming that people would feel sometimes a sense of hesitation to perhaps share how they're feeling because, oh my God, you know, they're going to think I'm not capable or I'm 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 not coping. So therefore, they might consider me not to be fit for my role or you know there's a whole lot of anxiety around that too so if we can create that really safe environment where it's the normal space for people to be able to share exactly how they're feeling and they will be supported 
That's the big, that's the key thing, knowing that there's somebody there who will support them yeah. and make sure that they, they, they get things sorted out. Because job security is massive. Oh, it's yes. so important. Yeah. And here in WA, I mean, obviously we haven't had the same level of lockdown. We haven't had the level of infection that the rest of Australia has experienced. But I tell you what, the fear is there because redundancies are happening every week. Yeah. Um, obviously, we, we saw a lot of redundancies early on in the piece, but they're still happening now. And I'm talking to different um, groups and companies and they're saying, yeah, we had to let another 30 people go last week. And it's horrific because, A, you don't know if it's going to be you. B, then if you're a survivor for that round, you still don't have the security of knowing that that's still going to be the case in another three or six months. And so the tendency is, like you suggest, that you've got to be seen to be doing okay. Um, so the, the vulnerability piece, which is so important right now, is trickier. So exactly. somehow we have to, to elevate that sense of safety um, because every employer and every business leader knows that if you've got really great talent in your teams and they, they feel cared for, they will deliver. They will deliver time and time again. They will be loyal. They will be shouting from the rooftops what a great uh, employer they are. And so that's good for the business because they're going to be attracting those extra people in who are top tier as well. So it works, but it's it's that balance, isn't it, between um, overcoming the fear and the uncertainty and balancing it with that, yep, I'm going to keep you safe. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And it, like you said, it is a balancing act, though. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, I want to tap into your expertise. What do you think would be your top three tips for looking after our mental well-being right now? Okay. I want you to expect to do less. I want the bar to be lowered because what I've been witnessing is a number of people who've gone to work from home and for some people it's great for some people it's <laughs> a living hell <laughs> but the the overall sense is well I've just got to keep doing and they're working and and they again the data suggests people are doing anything from an extra two to four hours of work a day well that's far more than the commute time hopefully that you would normally expend and it's just not sustainable we know that, you know, ideally the number of hours to be at our most productive per week is about 35 to 38 hours. So if you are consistently doing 55, 65, 70 plus, then something's going to give and it's just not sustainable. The thing is, what, what we often forget is that yeah, we've got the setup at home, you know, we've got the laptop, we've got the bandwidth we need for the internet and all that sort of stuff. We've got the fridge there with all the snacks and yep. But we forget that dealing with all this uncertainty and anxiety, which is bubbling around in our unconscious, is actually chewing up mental bandwidth. You don't have as much mental energy available to concentrate, to focus on what you would normally be doing because your brain's working overtime trying to deal with all this subconscious stuff as well as the conscious application of thought. So 
what's been happening is more people are finding that they're they're more distracted they're taking far longer to actually get their work completed and of course there's always the other distractions and interruptions of family and dogs and whatever um so and that's putting more and more stress on ourselves which actually compounds the problem so i think if we get better at stepping back and saying these are the things I'm going to prioritize today. And I'm, I'm only going to have top three. I'm not going to look, worry about anything else. Get those done. Get them done well. That makes it feel so much easier. So that's the first thing. Mm. The second would be to um, let go of what you can't control and focus on what you can. Because when you're caught up in, well, I can't do this, I can't go to the gym, my, rest, my, my favorite bar is closed, I can't get my best coffee in the morning, all this sort of stuff. Um, we focus on the grief and loss and we we start to overlook all the good things that we can control. So this is where that little piece of how can I structure my day to make sure I get A, enough breaks, because a lot of time we don't give ourselves enough breaks. So you need that mid-morning, mid-afternoon and a proper lunch break. Um, how can I ensure that I do those things that make me feel happier, like reaching out to a friend, even if it's a virtual coffee or um, signing up for some sort of class, which is going to sort of be a bit of fun because you're thinking you're going to be hopeless at it. Um, I've just taken up swing dancing, have to say, did not ex- have great expectations of my ability, <laughs> which have come to pass. But hey, it is so much fun. And we need that. We need that little bit of joy and laughter to think, oh, my goodness, look at this. Um, so, you know, what do we do that gives ourselves a little bit of pleasure? And I think we, a lot of families have got pets that they didn't have before. And lots of families are doing interactive things with their, um, their children that they weren't doing before. So there's been lots of things and spending time outside when you're allowed to um, in a green space. So important for our well-being. We now know that in order to maintain our mental well-being, we need a minimum of two hours in a green space every week. Now, that's not actually very much. So if every day you can get out into the park, if you've got bushland near you or whatever, getting out, or if it's just the backyard, doesn't matter, as long as it's got greenery around it, um, that you can feel, it, it helps to reduce those stress levels. You feel calmer, you feel more in control. It actually stimulates um, those feel-good hormones that we also get from exercising, like dopamine and oxytocin and serotonin and endorphins. All these good things start rising up. And as a result, we're more resilient and we can cope better. So that's really important. I think uh, the other thing is to make sure that we do spend enough time with those people that mean the most to us mm. and, and to get to know those people you don't know as well, like your neighbours. You know, when we've got elderly people that live down the street, uh, this sense of community that's now starting to develop, is it's fantastic because it is that sense of safety. You know that everybody's looking out for each other and whether it's at work or whether it's in your little bit of society, um, it matters. It really, really matters. And we know that the way to feel better about ourselves, especially if we've had a bit of a bad hair day, is to do something to help someone else. The more we reach out and notice when somebody else needs a helping hand and the more we uh, are able to, to share our attention with them, it's a win-win because they're going to feel better and you're going to feel better too. So yeah, those are the top three things. Mm. Awesome tips. Fantastic. Thank you. 
Now, if I was going to ask you what were your top tips for leaders in looking after their employees, I know you mentioned a couple before. Yeah. And I think that um, awareness around noticing the change with people is mm-hmm. a huge one, but they've got, to, mm-hmm. they've got to have the awareness around it in the first instance. So having yes. that presence of mind and noticing what's going on. But what, what are your top tips for leaders in looking after their employees? Um, be accessible mm. um, in whatever format that takes, um, whether it's online or if it is a bit of face-to-face, whatever. Be accessible. Be there to listen because if you ask, you know, what's going on for different people, there's, uh, I've always believed in um, looking after people by just showing your presence. So whether you've got a factory and you're walking around the factory, just asking people how they are that day, demonstrating that you know their name, demonstrating a little bit of interest in them as a human, gold, absolute yeah. gold. Um, so I think that's that's really important. So Obviously, you need your business meetings, but you need some other form of communication with the people that are working for you to demonstrate you're a human too. And this is where the, that vulnerability piece comes in. You don't have to tell them your life story, but, but it does help to show that, you know, you've got concerns or worries too um, and that you don't have all the answers and you really love to hear from them what, what they think would be useful because people will fall over themselves to, to volunteer mm. their, their ideas and how that could be really beneficial for the whole, whole company. So I think those are really um, the, the two important things. And the last piece is self-care matters for mm. everyone. Yep. And I'm, I'm overtired of the, <laughs> the um, oxygen mask analogy, but I haven't come up with a better one yet. If you've got a better one, please share <laughs> Um, you cannot be an effective leader if you are running on empty. Mm. Cannot. Uh, and yet we, we, we still have, we're still following that notion that we've just got to keep giving, 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 giving. But you can't. If you, if you need to stop at the next gas station and fill up, fill up your tank, um, it's not slacking off. It's, it's actually you being a really good role model. Because if you're demonstrating that, yes, you're getting out and you're getting out for a bit of a run or a swim or a cycle ride or something like that, you're you're sharing that you see these things are important. And because we we know they're important, but we don't prioritise them. And like not overworking, if people are finding that their workload is too heavy and so they're taking, they're doing more and more hours at home, working on the weekends, it's it's bad. So somehow it's about demonstrating what your values are as a leader that you know will sustain high performance for the longer term. And that's yeah. about working within the boundaries, making sure people adhere to them because you're supporting them. You don't want them wearing themselves out by trying to get through everything that they, they can't possibly manage. Yeah, absolutely. Great tips there too, especially around the self-care. Like yeah. at the very start, leaders have got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to deal with at the moment. So it's incredibly important yes. if they're going to, well, they need to role model the way too, don't they, in terms of what they expect from their employees. So if they want their employees to look after themselves, they've got to role model yeah, that. That's right. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And 
I, I've been a bit frustrated with some of the well-being programs that I've seen other companies put in place because they think, oh, we've put fresh fruit in the canteen and we've provided them with discounted gym memberships. We're doing a wellness program for our staff. No, you're not. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is our observable behaviours that make a difference. I mean, it's all very well having a fruit bowl, but if nobody's eating any of it, what's the point? <laughs> Attracting fruit flies and nothing yes. else. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so no, that's I think a really good point. Taking a holistic approach to to health and wellbeing and yeah. and giving those values. Yeah, yeah, awesome tips. Thank you, Jenny. Now, just a bit of a change of um, tactic uh, for this question, and that is, who has been your biggest influence in your life, and 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 why? I've had a lot of people influence me over the time. I'm, I'm extremely grateful because I've worked with some amazing mentors. Um, my husband has always been a fantastic influencer as well because he's always been there to support me no matter what's been going on. But I think it's actually somebody that I've never met. I was on holiday a few years ago and I'm a bit of a bookworm so I always like to take a few books and I picked up this little wee book and it was called Sharp Brains, A Guide to Brain Fitness. And it's actually co-authored, but the, the chief instigator, if you like, is a chap called Alvaro Fernandez. And he runs this company called Sharp Brains out of the US. This little book actually made me think, whoa, I need to be doing this here in Australia because I was looking for a way to use my medical skills that wasn't taking me back into general practice. That little book was highlighting how neuroplasticity, because I was fascinated about the new neuroscience that was coming out, how neuroplasticity could be used for our advantage to upskill, to change thinking behaviours and thinking patterns that particularly those, those habits that we've installed that aren't so supportive to us. And, you know, all those light bulbs were going off in my head thinking, whoa, this is it. This is it. Because it just made complete sense to me that if you take care of your body and your brain, everything starts working better. So so that was it. So I'd say Alvaro Fernandez, delightful chap. One day I hope to meet him to say thank you. Um, but I'd say it would be him. Fantastic. What, a, what an awesome story. I love that. And sometimes it is people who we don't know, haven't met, but their work really has a significant influence over our lives. So that's a great story. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> now, tell, please share with our listeners, how can we get in contact with you? Because I know you, you do a lot of speaking, you do a lot of workshops and facilitation and also your books. So how can we get in contact with you and um, have access to your books? Okay, thank you. Easiest way is probably via my website, which is simply my name. So it's drjennybrockis.com. So DR for Dr. Jenny with a Y, B-R-O-C-K-I-S. Um, or you can email me at Jenny at drjennybrockis.com and I'm on LinkedIn as Dr. Jenny Brockis just to keep the theme going so people know where to find My latest book, Thriving Mind, uh, is available online through Amazon and Booktopia. 
Um, and it's also available in the retail bookstores. If you've got one open near you, there are Dimmocks and places like that where you can buy it. Um, and it's available as an ebook and as a, a soft copy. Haven't got it on an audio yet. Hoping to get that happening maybe later next or later, um, either the end of this year or beginning of next year. So um, with regard to the book, um, Thriving Mind, which is always about sort of how to be a thriving, happy human, what I'd love to do is share three copies with your audience. So whoever comes in first <laughs> with the three aspects of what it takes to develop a thriving mind, I'd love to send them an autographed copy. Oh, that's so generous of you. That's amazing. Thank you. So I will send out um, all the details of how to get in contact with you and also to enter that little competition. Um, and, um, yeah, I'll send that. I'll share that out with the, with the show notes so people Brilliant. can do that. So thank you, Brilliant. lovely. And, um, you know, in wrapping up our chat, I mean, there's so much more that we could talk about and, um no doubt, um, you know, there's so much that you've got in, in both of your books that are, are so relevant and important to now. Um, but this podcast is called Making It Count and um, it is clearly evident through through your work and through your writing and um, through everything that you're doing in terms of how you're making it count in your world but also for those who are around you. And, you know, you never one day people will share a story about Dr. Jenny Brockus. It's got a nice ring to it and how she influenced their lives. So I have no doubt about that. So thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved our conversation. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks for listening. And I hope that you have gained some great ideas and feel inspired to get out there and make what you do count for your leadership, your business, and your life. Please do leave a review for this podcast and please share it with your network. Send any feedback or suggestions for future guests by emailing me, julie at juliehide.com.au. For now, let's get out there and make it count.